What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? This is the Founder Hour Podcast. I'm your co-host, Pat, and today's guest on the show is Justina Blakeney. Justina is a designer, artist, entrepreneur, speaker, and best-selling author. She's the founder and creative director of home decor brand Jungalo and the author of the New Bohemians book series. We spoke with Justina about how her childhood experiences growing up in Berkeley, California, shaped her unique worldview and purpose in life, her mindset and the principles that have guided her throughout her career, the early days of launching her blog and building an engaged audience online, what inspired her to start Jungalo and her learnings as a leader, what she's working on now and what she hopes to accomplish in the near future, and much more. Here we go. As a little girl, I grew up in the Bay Area in California, so I grew up in a very free-spirited household, very multicultural. Um, My parents are developmental psychologists, and so I'm extremely well-rounded, and so are my two siblings. we we grew up they they actually had a home for mentally disturbed and disabled teenage girls and so i grew up in this really wild environment and i think uh through the years i've definitely channeled a lot of those experiences that i had um coming there after school hanging out there with with the girls and as I got older teaching art classes and that sort of thing at the school and i think that really greatly affected my, my overall, you know, sense of self and uh, sense of wanting to bring beauty and uh, into the world. So that was sort of the environment that I grew up in. We also grew up doing a lot of traveling. And uh, that also really affected sort of my my worldview. I spent two years as a as a young person (laughs) in my teen, early teen years, living in Switzerland, and then um, ended up going back to Europe for another seven years in my 20s. So I, I had, I've had a lot of experience sort of traveling and being a foreigner in different places and understanding what that means. And then eventually made my way back to back to California, where I am now. You, you mentioned how those early experiences and sort of what you were exposed to kind of, uh, you know, encourage you to try to bring beauty into the world, I guess. What, what, what did that mean? I mean, did you have like a clear vision of what that meant when you were a kid? Or like, did you, did you have any idea perhaps what you wanted to do when you grew up at the time? I knew I wanted to do something creative. I didn't know exactly what that meant or what form it would take. And for me, I think there was, um, it was so clear to me from a very early age that what my parents did for a living was very meaningful and that they were sort of making the world a better place. And I had a very clear idea that I also wanted to do something meaningful. And I needed to figure out sort of what that meant for me as an artist and and how I could manifest that in the world. So for me, um, I've always sort of tried to find the balance or walk the uh, toe the line between sort of expressing my own creativity being my most authentic self as an artist and as a designer, but also figuring out how I can, you know, bring joy and bring beauty into the world in a way that I leave this place better than when I found it. That's always the goal. Justina, you know, um, what what I find most interesting is that your parents gave you this like, you know, freedom early on. And I, I, you know, in my experience, or at least with my friends, I haven't really seen that much when I was growing up. It was very much so especially when we come from an immigrant background like Pat and I, it's very much, you know, go to school, high school, college, you know, grad school, you know, there's a certain set of professions that one can, you know, partake in. Um, And I see why an immigrant parent would think that way. Why do you think your parents were quite the opposite? Um, I think, I think it was a number of things. And of course this is all like conjecture, but I, I think, you know, they grew up in uh, in the 60s, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. It was sort of in the shadow of World War II and then head first into the civil rights movement and into the women's lib movement. And, and they were at the epicenter of a lot of that living in Berkeley. And I think when it came to my parents and my dad is, is black and my mom is uh, Jewish of Eastern European descent. So they, they both came from a lot of histories of oppression and um, sort of trying to find a place in this country. And I think what 
happened was they really were rule breakers and they sort of found their home in each other and in sort of doing away with convention and doing away with uh, rules that people set forth for them. And they said, you know what? We're going to have an interracial marriage, even though it's illegal to have an interracial marriage. We're going to, um, you know, raise our children to be free thinkers, to think for themselves, to lean into who they want to be. And I think as developmental psychologists, you know, they were really trained to kind of help us think for ourselves and and feel our feelings and and all that. And I think I, I can only imagine that sort of raising, and I have one brother and one sister, so raising the three of us in this, you know, and I was born in the late 70s. So, you know, after the, all all these political movements and and social changes happening and just saying, you know what, I'm going to let my kids break these rules. I don't even want them to sort of know the rules. (laughs) I want them to be themselves. And aside from that, is there anything, you know, obviously growing up with parents that are psychologists in the house, you know, I'm sure they raised you a lot differently than perhaps, you know, just parents that aren't, you know, psychologists, like that don't really, you know, think that way or have, you know, studied kind of the way the brain works and the mind works and people's behaviors. And so I I guess in your case, is there anything in particular that perhaps in hindsight, you noticed that your parents taught you, whether it was directly or indirectly as a kid that really transformed the way, or I, I guess shaped your adult life and, and, and how you sort of ended up? I think, um, you know, my mom always had this vibe about her that was like, have faith in your children and they will have faith in themselves. So I think, I think what they provided me or what they gifted to me was a strong sense of self and, and a strong, you know, self-confidence that I think has really served me well over the years as, as an artist, as an entrepreneur, you know, as an artist, you're really putting yourself out there and you're, you know, taking what's inside and putting it on the outside and sharing that with the world. And I think in order to do that, you have to have um, a lot of self-confidence to say, you know, I'm, I am somebody, (laughs) I'm sharing something that's, that's worth, worth it. It's, it's worth the time. It's worth your energy. Um, And so, yeah, I think, I think it's something about that sense of self and that trust um, I think my parents always really believed in me and trusted in me. And I think that gave me a sense of self-confidence in the world and the way I present myself and move around in the world, I think is a reflection of that. You know, something I thought about uh, from what you said a few minutes ago about your parents and how they defied the fact that um, it was illegal to have interracial marriages. I remember I went to law school and I studied this case, this case, and it's crazy to believe that it was in 1967 when it was Loving v. Virginia. That's the case mm-hmm. uh, where the Supreme Court finally decided that interracial marriage was legal. Right? What a crazy concept that it's only been like a little over 50 years that that's happened. You know, I know it has not much to do, perhaps, with entrepreneurship or business, but I'm really curious. You know, how, how was that for them? Right? Like being in an inter- interracial marriage you know, defying these laws that made obviously not much sense. Um, what was their life like? You know, I, I, I obviously wasn't around, so I can't speak to it in any kind of uh, first person sense, but yeah, yeah, um, I, I think that it was probably very challenging in, in a lot of ways. I know that both sides of the family um, had issues with, with their marriage at the time. I also know that over time, both sides of the family learned to love and, and accept, uh, you know, my dad or my mom into the family. But I think it was, you know, it's like everything. Uh, it takes work. And I think, you know, at the time, it was really, there was a big, um, you know, yeah, they had, they had to work for their relationship. They had to work for their love. And I think, you know, they've been married now for over 50 years. And, and I can only imagine that, that that's the kind of thing that does, you know, bring, bring people closer together when you sort of have to fight for, for your love. So kind of to fast forward a little bit, um, you know, when it came time to go to college, I think I saw that you studied world arts and cultures at, at uh, UCLA. Um, and so I guess kind of hearing about your background, um, it makes sort of sense as to, as to why you decided to do that. But um, I guess what was the impetus for like, 
doing that as a major? And what did you think that would sort of parlay into after you graduated? So like many things I do, I didn't think about what I wanted to do when I finished college. I just thought about this sounds really fun. This sounds really interesting. And I care about learning about this. <laughs> so this is what I'm going to do. And I really didn't think too far beyond that. Again, I knew I wanted to do something creative. Um, but I knew I wanted to travel, you know, I there were there were certain things I definitely knew I wanted. But beyond that, I sort of also had this sense of I'm probably going to have a lot of careers over my life, I'm probably going maybe I'm going to go to grad school, maybe I'm going to teach maybe, you know, I didn't have a a great sense of exactly what I wanted to do. So I thought that the world arts and cultures major at UCLA was a good opportunity to just learn about the world and to learn about art and, um, and, and dig in a little bit to like sociocultural anthropology. Cause I'm really interested in learning about different people's cultures and things like that. So I was just like, I'm going to do this because it sounds fun. And then I'm going to see what happens after that. And, and I love that. And, and the reason I ask is because, you know, obviously there, everyone's circumstances are different, but I think a lot of people go into college, myself included, doing a major that, you know, you, you think you're trying to think what's going to set you up for the best career afterwards, as opposed to maybe what you're most interested in or what kind of piques your interest the most. And again, like everyone's circumstances are different, but I think there's something um, awesome about that because I think, you know, it, you definitely feel like uh, perhaps you can answer this question, but you definitely feel like it's justified for, for example, like what you're paying to go to college when you feel like, you know, you're actually enjoying the material, you're learning something that is showing some sort of value in your life as opposed to, you know, I'm just going to do this because it's going to set me up for the best job after college. Yeah. I've always had this sense of, of um, you know, my day to day, enjoying my life, enjoying what I'm doing is has always been very important to me. And I'm not sure if maybe I think I gleaned some of that from my years living in Europe, because I think there is so much um, value in the US put on like work ethic and and so much of, of the U- US culture surrounds work. Um, and I definitely have a lot of that in me. Like I grew up here, I'm really ambitious. I set really astronomical goals for myself that I want to reach. Uh, and I love work. So I have that in me. But then I have this other side that I think I got from that time I spent in Europe that's that I was like, you know what, but I really also need to enjoy my life. I want to love my days. I want to love what I'm doing. I want to be interested in it. And, um, and I want to have fun. And so for me, that that has always also been an integral part of my work. If I'm not having fun, if I'm not enjoying myself, then, you know, I pivot. And sure, you you have challenges and stuff. And, and, and that's part of the grind. And so it's not to say, oh, I'm not having fun. So I quit. But it's like, okay, if I notice a pattern of like, oh, there's this one client I have who makes my life miserable, or there's this, there's this um, one part of my job that that I really can't stand, I I find that when I can't stand something, I'm, I'm also, I'm not good at it. I don't care about it. So I, I do try and pivot away from, from things that just don't feel fun and exciting to me because I find that my best work is brought out when it's fun and exciting. Justina, as much as I agree with that, just to play devil's advocate, um, you know, I, I, I love that mentality personally. And I, and I think that's something that I strive for every day is to really enjoy what I'm doing to, not be doing too much where I'm putting so much pressure on myself uh, and just kind of taking things a little bit slower. And it's very hard, but would you, I mean, what are your thoughts about folks that don't perhaps have that luxury of financial security perhaps, or they are taught. And the only thing they know is that we have to spend time working to make money to, you know, to eat, to pay our rent, to do our laundry, right? Just the essentials. And we don't have much time to think about enjoying our life just yet, right? And I mean, I can speak for myself. There's definitely been days and times and weeks and years where I didn't, I couldn't enjoy myself. I mean, there was nothing, there was no money to enjoy myself. So for those people that are in that position, you know, how can they perhaps enjoy their time, even if it's a few minutes a day? Yeah, so... 
I just want to clarify a little bit because I, I think this is important. Whereas, yes, you know, I, I, I am in a very sort of privileged position now where I do feel like I, I can sort of dictate the way my days go and, and the things that I want to take on and the things that I don't. My life has not always been that way. And, and I have hustled and I have had lots of different types of jobs, whether it's working at restaurants and cafes, you know, to, you know, d- uh, tons of like tutoring and, you know, just lots of these kinds of side hustling jobs, jobs. Yeah, like tons of them. I mean, I did graphic design for about five years where I was just mostly churning out like logos and websites and different things for different clients. And there, there are things in all of those jobs, whether it was waitressing or bartending or all the different things that I've done that I can find enjoyment in, even if it's not like the passion that totally like lights me up. Um, and, and so I think that's also an extremely important part of, of me finding joy in whatever it is that I'm doing. Maybe it's that, you know, when I was hustling and working at restaurants, I tried to find restaurants to work at where the atmosphere was exciting or the people were awesome, or there were just things in, in those jobs that I could glean enjoyment out of. And I think the people part of it is huge, working with people that you really um, can learn from and can grow around and that, you know, you support each other and you have fun together. I think that that can be found in any type of job. Um, but in the day to day, I think there are also so many ways to, to find enjoyment. I mean, I, you know, again, as an artist now, I sort of marvel at some of the the tiniest, silliest little things that are just around me all the time, even, you know, noticing a, a little bird flying outside my window and landing on a branch or taking a walk and finding some dead leaves on the ground and bringing them home and turning them into a portrait. You know, there are so many ways with, you know, not a ton of cash or not a ton of time or not a ton of resources that you can find enjoyment and find beauty. And, um, and I think that's one thing I've, I've really practiced. You know, it's an interesting point you bring up because, uh, you know, there are so many people that are kind of in that day-to-day grind right now where they have a bigger vision or dream of what they want to do. Um, and they're just kind of working towards that. But the reality is most of these people, most people are just not going to end up, you know, reaching that level of, of, of success unless they, I mean, again, I mean, that's, that's definitely true, but also like the fact that you have to put some sort of like intention behind it and put yourself in these positions. Like you mentioned, the, the environment that you're in is super important and the people that you, you know, uh, rub shoulders with is so important. Is there anything else when it comes to the mindset or the approach or the day-to-day actions that you would say, no, these are the things that I did or people should do to make the likelihood of them reaching that success or making that dream a reality more, more high? Yeah. So I'm a huge goal setter. And I think one of the things that's been really helpful for me is setting tiny, tiny short-term goals and then big, huge long-term goals. So, and that's something that I'm sort of constantly working on. So um, I have, like, for example, when I started growing my social media channels, I sort of had this clear sense that if I could build a large following on Instagram, I could parlay that into kind of whatever I wanted to parlay it into, whether it was more home decor collections or a book deal or um, a TV show or whatever it is that I sort of had that sense early on that, oh, build, if you build it, they will come, right? So um, in order to build my Instagram channel, I was extremely intentional about this. And I, and I set a goal for myself, a daily goal to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get 50 new followers a day, you know, or I would take a a yearly goal and say, I want to be at 10,000 followers by the end of the year. And then I would divide that by 365 and see how many I needed to get at the end of the day. So I would spend, I don't know, a couple hours a day commenting on other people's photos, um, you know, creating beautiful imagery to post, really thinking about it, concepting for the next day. Um, pinning my Instagram pictures to Pinterest to share with that audience, tweet, you know, collaborating, doing all this stuff. And it, and, and it was super intentional. And it was to the point where, you know, if I didn't, if I was close to my goal for the day, but hadn't quite met it yet, then I would do different things to try and reach that goal. I would comment some more, I would follow more people, I would 
you know, try and bring them in. And so um, that's just one example, but setting that daily goal now on my personal channel, I have a half a million followers, you know, and, and it was through those daily goals that I I got there. It wasn't through, (laughs) you know, the magic of, of Instagram. No, it was like work and, and the daily goal and putting that work in, um, knowing that I was playing the long game and that maybe in five or six years, if I kept doing that, that I could get to where I wanted to be. Justina, I know in 2009, you started a blog that you credit for being really like this catalyst for, uh, what came after all that, you know, what was, what was the content behind that? And what was the purpose? I mean, did you have a longer term vision or goal in mind, uh, with what that would become? So I guess that's kind of similar to my university experience where when I first started the blog, it was just as a way to chronicle my creative adventures or experiences. So, you know, it was photography or I found this cool sofa on the street and I'm going to bring it home and paint it. And let's, let's see what, you know, it was like DIY projects. It was, um, you know, me traveling places and showing pictures of the museums I visited. It was very just like a public journal. And just like university, I had no sense of what I necessarily thought it could lead to or, or, or what it, what it could do for me, if you will. But I knew that I really enjoyed the process and not just the the creating of the blog, but um, the the process of of the conversations that were starting to ensue from the posts um, and just the way I was able to connect with people around art and design from all over the world. And I just really loved it. I love to write. I love photography. I love, um, you know, with a graphic design background, even like the fun techie stuff of making the blog look pretty and, and all that. Like, I thought that was really fun, too. So it was just something that I really enjoyed almost as a hobby. But as I got deeper into it, and as blogs in general, and social media in general sort of started to take off, I started to look around and see some of these larger blogs, like at the time, in my universe, it was like apartment therapy and design sponge and some of these big blogs. And I started to see brands were taking notice. And you know, some of the founders were doing cool stuff. And I was like, huh, okay, I'm taking note of that. Um, You know, this, this might be able someday to turn into more than, you know, a a hobby. Um, But I I also had no um, expectations uh, uh, of that happening. I was really doing it for my own, uh, because I loved it. One thing that stood out, I don't know if it was before you launched the blog or after or during, but I I saw that you had gone to fashion school in Italy after graduating your undergrad. And for anyone who wants to get in fashion, I mean, I feel like that's the place to be, um, is, is Italy, Milan. I don't know exactly where in Italy, but how, what was that experience like for you? Um, and, and, uh, what did you end up doing immediately after that? Yeah. So um, the day after I graduated from UCLA, actually, my sister and I moved to Italy together. And I had spent my junior year abroad there. So I had some friends, I had a landing pad. And in order to be able to live there legally, we um, we went to fashion school, we went to the FIT sister school, we were in Florence, and the, the school was called Polimoda. And it was in Italian, which was great, because it was like, I got simultaneously a crash course in fashion design and in Italian. And, um, Oh, the courses, everything was in Italian. Everything was in Italian. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really great experience. I think, um, you know, it was a lot of fundamentals, uh, pattern making, fashion illustration, um, basics on color and textiles. And I had one teacher in particular who I really admired, um, her, approach to pattern making in in design was was very conceptual and she actually started sort of getting me um excited about conceptual design and i think uh working with her and learning from her was something that i i still today think back on some of those lessons that i learned and some of those ways and approaches to design that are more concept based as opposed to just like what this looks like it's really about sort of a a, a larger concept behind the design and um, I've really carried a lot of those lessons with me over the years. When did the idea for Jungalo happen? Was it as a result of all of this work? Yeah, so I spent 
seven years in Italy and then two years in New York. And then after New York, I moved back to Los Angeles and I lived in an apartment for the first time on my own. Um, up until then, I'd always lived with my family and then, you know, girlfriends or boyfriends or roommates or whatever. And so it was the first time where I, I, I had, I had space. I had a space that I could make my own. And, um, for years I'd collected botanical wall coverings. So I had you know, these leafy wallpaper everywhere, plants all over the place, my art hanging everywhere. Like it was just this crazy, like boho, you know, extravaganza. <laughs> and every time people would come over, they'd be like, wow, your place is so cute. You really, you know, you have a knack for interiors, you know, people would just get really excited. And I sort of loved, um, loved the, the, the way the place seemed to make people feel and including me. And, and that was sort of when I sort of had this idea that, you know, maybe I should go into interiors and go into home decor because my work up until then had been in fashion and then in graphic design and art direction. And so mm -hmm. um, I just started doing more interior stuff. And some of my clients that I had in the graphic design world started following the blog at the time, the blog was called Justina Blakeney. It wasn't called Jungle yet. And they would say, oh, I saw, you know, you're doing stuff on interiors on your blog. I love it. Will you do my house? And I was like, oh, this, this could be interesting. So I started doing interiors. And um, one day I had some friends over who were actually from New York and Italy from, you know, years past. And they were visiting. And they were like, wow, this bungalow is so cool. I love how in L.A. there are these little bungalows everywhere. And this bungalow is like a jungle, right? And at that moment, it was like jungle -o. And that's where that moment kind of happened. And, you know, sometimes there are little things that happen like that in conversation and they're fleeting. But this thing like hit me when it was like jungle -o, And it was like, this is going to be my thing because I love plants and I love sort of the coziness and the intimate nature of these little LA bungalows. And I just thought it was so fun. And it's, you know, I speak a lot of different languages. So language is something that I have a lot of fun with. And I love the way the word jungle feels in my mouth to say it. <laughs> and so yeah. I was like, this is fun. It's bouncy. It's so I just started using that word and people loved it. And little by little, I was like, you know what? I'm going to rebrand my blog as jungle and we're going to see what happens with this thing. Well, one thing I love about this story, and in, in, in oftentimes, you know, we see when someone wants to start a business, they focus so much on like the starting part of like, all right, I got to find a name and now I got to do this and I got to write a business plan and I got to, which depending on the business, obviously that is important too. But it sounds like yours was just sort of like a natural progression where it's like you, your journey and what the world is needing kind of like clash and right there is like, it just naturally happens and you come up you know, people are just wanting your work and the name just kind of comes to you through serendipity in a way. So that that's cool because it's like, well, you know, it's it, it's like nothing is forced. It's like you've, you're actually where you need to be. And, and why do you think that was for you? Like, did you have the mindset of, you know, I want to go out and start a business. I want to, to be an entrepreneur. Or was it just, again, you were just doing what you wanted to do every day and it just happened? Closer to the latter, <laughs> but I will yeah. say this, like, I've always been a very hard worker. So I was like straight A student and like, you know, like that's just, that's just my spirit. It's who I am. I love it. And so I think it's some combination of like me following my heart and my passions and this, this hardworking thing coinciding and, um, and yeah, it has been very organic, but I, I think also, and especially because um, you know, I'm, I'm in the design world where you have to be able to be quick. You have to be able to kind of be ahead of the curve and see things, um, you know, before other people see them. And, and I think because I've allowed myself to kind of follow my heart and lean into my inspirations, it allowed me to be flexible and to pivot when I needed to. And again, just, just following my natural inspirations and inclinations and I never had a business plan and I never um, like gave 
too many guardrails around what this was that I was doing. So that and also opened up a lot of opportunities for me to try different things. On that note, you you talk about how like artists and anyone creative kind of has this mindset of, you know, I need to stay ahead of the curve. I need to see where the world is going before it, it goes there. How do you, what's your approach to that? Because I can imagine a lot of artists and creatives put a lot of pressure on themselves and try to, you know, get get themselves to consume things or be at certain things or places or whatever to, to try to get be ahead of the curve. But how, how do you kind of build that into your everyday lifestyle? So it's kind of, again, like a, a natural progression. Yeah, I'm not sure it works when you try and force it, at least for me. It is more about um, keeping yourself open to, to new experiences, I think, and then just honing your observation skills. So that anytime you're consuming culture in any way, whether again, you're walking around the block, like I walk around my block and I see new things every single time I do it. So I'll see somebody, you know, painted something on the outside of their house or a bird made a little nest in the tree right there. You know, I'm very observant and, and I love observing that kind of stuff. That brings me so much joy. And I think it really is about opening yourself up and honing those observation skills, then you start seeing patterns. When you start seeing patterns in things, I think that's where that little magic fairy dust comes in, where it's like, oh, gosh, like, you know, I'm, I'm even on, on Instagram, right? And, and, and I'm looking at something in Japan, and I'm looking at something in Switzerland, and I'm looking at something in South Africa, and they're all using Bordeaux. <laughs> and they're all using, you know, these different materials or, or these different curved edges instead of what we've been seeing up until now, which is squared off edges. And then, you know, it's not always that overt, but I think it's when you're observant, it sort of seeps in and you, you start to kind of feel it and you feel the, the next thing that's coming. Justina, you were saying earlier with the blog and social media, how intentional you were and set goals of really, you know, putting content out there and being consistent, et cetera. Uh, but was that something that you also applied when you started the, the the design stuff? Or was it more so, I'm just going to do whatever comes my way until I figure out what consistent looks like? Yeah, it was more more just uh i i didn't know again i didn't i didn't have a clear plan for for where right. where i was going to be and and what was going to happen a lot of this sort of feels like happenstance but um i'm i'm also one of those people who tries out a lot of different things and then when something starts to work i like follow that thing that's working and leave behind things that don't work right. so um i i think through that process now you know for a long time, I was really reluctant to open an online shop. I had all these collections that I started doing through licensing with, you know, incredible manufacturers all over the country. Lloyd Rod started working, you know, did some stuff with Target, did some stuff with Anthropology. you know, started doing all these different collections. And little by little, people kept asking, oh, well, where can I get this? And where can I get that? And I'm thinking to myself, I'm sending all these people to different retailers when I could be sending them to my own retail shop, <laughs> right? And so it was just like, it seems so obvious, but I never like set out to have a, an e-com shop. But it was like, I had all these collections. And so all of a sudden it was like, well, I should probably be getting that retail margin. Right. <laughs> Let me open the shop. But you also wouldn't have gotten to that conclusion, but for the fact that you had all those collections in different places, you had the presence, people knew who you were. I mean, chances are, if you just straight up launch your own e-commerce store, there would be less, uh, I'm not saying you wouldn't be successful, but the chances of that would be a little less successful for a product or the collections that you were launching, just because people relate to Target or Anthropology in a different way. They think, oh my God, you know, uh, Justina's collection is at those stores. She must be legit, right? She could be legit on her own too, but she must be legit if she's at these big box stores. So you know, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty in that sense. But you know, when you did launch your own type of, you know, your own website, was it almost like this automatic wave of people going from other retailers to your website, or did that take time to build as well? Yeah, sure, it took time to build. I mean, I would say it was. I had a launch pad um, that I wouldn't have had if I had started it, you know, 
again, like without having all those other collections and, you know, New York Times bestselling book and, you know, clout or whatever. So I started it and I was already kind of at a certain level. And I think that definitely helped. Um, But at the same time, you know, like with any business, it started really small. You know, we started probably with only about 50 items. I, for two and a half years, had one woman her name is Christina. She's incredible. Um, helped me run the whole thing. So it was just like such a small operation. And, you know, now we're definitely blowing up. We have over a thousand products on the site now. Um, you know, it's, it's it, the, the volume that we've been seeing is, you know, 10x what it was two years ago. So yeah, you start small and you build just like, just like an Instagram channel, just like the blog, just like the client work, just like the licensing. And you, you build and you learn and you, you know, trim the fat, you take off the stuff you don't need, you build more muscle, you add it, you add it, you know, and, and you just, you learn and you add smart people to the team who know how to do things that you don't know how to do and turn the dials, try, try different things out and see what works and, and grow it little by little, like a little seedling. <laughs> yeah. You know, your work has been sort of described as having a, you know, a boho aesthetic, right? And for those who don't know, uh, you know, bohemianism or what that kind of is, what does it mean to you and what is it? And, and how did you end up sort of settling on, you know, or did you even end up settling on this is my aesthetic or has it just been again, like one of those natural things that was part of your life and you just sort of incorporated into your work? Yeah, it's interesting because I think the word bohemian in general is a little bit of a confusing word. And it's not my favorite word because uh, like so many words, words are alive, right? They take on different meaning and different contexts. They change over time. Um, and so the, the history of the word is is already kind of a misnomer. But it, it, it started in Paris with the gypsies that were in Paris at that time. Anyway, my point is that the style itself is, it's layered, it's maximal, it's artful, it's, um, it's free spirited, right? So it's, it's not matchy matchy. It's not clean lines and, and super modern. It's really more about leaning into your creativity. At least that's, that's how I see it. Um, it's international. So it's about peppering things in from different places around the world. And really it's about, for me, telling, telling the story of who you are through your home decor. So um, really allowing yourself to, to fully be expressed in your home. So those are the things that I connect with what, um, with sort of what people call boho or, or bohemian decor design uh, today. However, um, you know, the, again, the word has, I, I think it means different things to different people, but just like all styles do in a way. Right. And when it comes to expressionism, there's this really interesting dichotomy of the internal versus external, right? Where it's like, you know, you you see it in clothing and fashion or even like online and social media, like people expressing themselves through like a, you know, boho chic or whatever it might be. But then there's also this internal thing, which is also like, you know, you live in your home and if, if you're not snapping photos of it all day, it's kind of just how you feel yourself living in your home. So how do you explain that side of the, you know, because I think a lot of people see the, the the external, but maybe not the internal and how that affects someone's day-to-day personal life. Yeah, absolutely. So I definitely see home as an extension of self. And, you know, the tagline for Jungalo for the business is bring good vibes home. And so I think for me, when I feel good in my space and when, when I feel like my space really reflects who I am as a person, it makes me feel more confident. It makes me feel like I can bring whatever I want into the world. So I, you know, I really think having a decor that really lights you up and that you, you know, you walk into your home and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this place is so beautiful. I feel so relaxed here. I feel so inspired here. Um, creating a space like that, creating a refuge, creating a sanctuary for yourself is an extremely powerful thing. I think it's, you know, people talk about, Oh, you know, you work out to feel good. You exercise, you, take care of yourself, self-care, like all that stuff. So important. Um, And I I see the home as an extension of that. Justina, when you started the brand, you said you called it, you know, after it was a namesake brand, right? It was named after you. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I feel like a lot of artists that are, you know, let's call them painters or uh, interior designers, graphic designers, you know, any sort of artist, 
uh, one of the struggles that I always see is that it's so hard to replicate yourself, right? Even in uh, even in other things, sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish I had another version of me so that they could be doing half my job and I can you know be doing other things. Um, but you know, especially with art, it's so hard because literally it's your vision; it's coming out of your brain, and then it's coming out of your hands, your eyes, mouth, whatever the case may be, and it's becoming reality. So you can't necessarily duplicate a Justina, right? Sure, you could teach somebody how to do things, but it's your vision. When, as Jungle O has grown, how have you been able to scale yourself or scale the design or the vision that you've had uh, and spread it to other people? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, scaling is is an interesting thing. I think with home decor in general, like I'm... I'm a very prolific person. I think that's something that, you know, everyone who works around me or with me would say, like, I love creating. Like, I'll sometimes sit at the kitchen table for six or seven hours and churn out, like, ten paintings. Uh, like, if I'm in a flow, I can get a lot done. So in that sense, you know, people are always like, are you out of ideas? You're always doing things. I'm like, no, I'm not out of ideas. I have – it's like a fountain for me. It's just – it's always sort of coming out. So in that sense, um, I'm not so worried. In the sense of, like, scaling the business itself, I think that's a little different from, you know, how, how I can sort of replicate myself, if you will. Um sure. I, I have an interesting story, which your question reminded me of, which is um, from my time living in Italy, I was doing lots of different types of odd jobs, as I mentioned. And, and one of them, um, I was working for a pretty famous uh, Italian designer. His name is Elio Fiorucci. And he, in the 80s, was like this huge fashion uh, personality. And when I worked for him, I worked for one of his newer brands that was called Love Therapy. And the reason why he had started a new brand was because he sold Elio Fiorucci um, back in the day. So um, he was no longer able to use his own name in commerce. And so mm. one of the important things for me when I sort of started to think about Jungalo, not just as a blog, but as a brand, was positioning it so that if eventually 20 years down the line or whatever, I decided I wanted to sell it, that I wasn't selling my own name. And so right. I think a lot of, for, for a lot of um, artists or, or people like jungle, like I am jungle. people are like Justina right. is jungle. Um, but in, in my mind, they're, they're separate. Uh, in, in a way though, like, it, you know, when you, we always talk about this, if you have a name like that, like what was his name? Can you, can you, can you... Elio Fiorucci. Like when you have a name like that, it's like, it's going to sell itself in a way. It's like such a, you know, it's like, you can tell it's a fashion brand, like Gucci or Gucci or Nerset's a potion is going to be like, not a fashion brand. Like, like what would that be? Like underwear, like for wanna, like 95 year old. I, I mean, like, like, I hear you, but at the yeah, same time, then every Italian would have a fashion brand. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, no, no stereotype, but if you're Italian and you haven't launched a fashion name, a fashion brand name, uh, I think you should reconsider what you're doing. Um, so uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier on, you were talking about kind of growing your social media following. And I think that really stems from building a community, right? And 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 once you build a community around whatever it is, it might be a thought or or just a concept or a way of life or design, uh, art piece, you know, art, um, you know, once you build that community, there's so much you can do, right? And so in your case... Uh, how have you gone about, you know, kind of growing your, your own community and how do you kind of approach that, um, you know, piece? Yeah. So I think one really important tool for growing community, and I've always used this is language. As I mentioned before, I have, um, a facility with languages. I speak quite a few languages and for me sort of sewing that into the blog and then the brand, has always been a really important connector. So for example, we call plants planties. Um, we call our community folks jungleistas. We are jungleicious. Like we have um, sort of a jungle lexicon that we've tap, you know, started using very early on and, and, and continue to use. And it makes people feel a part of, uh, of, of our community. And we'll see our, you know, our, our jungleistas using, the jungle lingo as well. And so I think language can be an extremely important connector. 
Um, one other thing that I love about the brand and about our community is that we give people permission to be themselves in their own homes and to not front, right? And I, and I think that's really important because in, in design and in home decor, it can be a very exclusive world. It can be a world where there's a lot of rules, where there's a lot of right and wrong, and where people don't feel like they're allowed to be themselves. And I think that's true of design in general and in fashion and all these sort of things where it's like, oh, you know, you're supposed to be this size and you're supposed to look like this and your home is supposed to be like this and you should only have, you know, this on your bed and this on your, it's like, it's, it's too prescriptive. And so I think by sort of giving people permission through the books, through our, you know, Instagram or Pinterest or all these things to sort of just lean into who they are. Are you messy? That's cool. You can have a messy bed and it can still be really beautiful and it can still fit who you are and the lifestyle that you want to lead. And so that that permission aspect, that permission to be yourself and to still carry yourself with, with confidence and to have love for yourself, I think that's something that really resonates with my community. Justina, since this is an entrepreneurship podcast and a lot of folks that do listen to us are obviously interested in either starting their own companies or already have started it or are deep into their entrepreneurial journeys, um, you know, we always love to hear from our founders about things that they've done or they would do or what they would have done differently, for example. But, you know, when I think about, you know, what you've done with Jungle, for example, it's a more of a situation of if you build it, they will come, right? Versus they will come and then I will build it, right? Or whatever <laughs> you want to call it. Like build right. the audience first and then build a product that, you know, serves that audience, you know, that needs that, whether it's a solution to a problem, whether it's a luxury item, whatever the case may be. How how was that a challenge for you, if if it was at all, to build it and then they will come? And would you have done it differently? You know, or am I wrong? Did you, did you build the audience first and then you built Jungle? Yeah, I think it was sort of, I was growing and I still am growing my audience. Hey, are you new to the Jungle? Come on down, right? Like, we're still always growing. We're always building. I have that growth mindset. Um, I think. It's, it's always a tricky question for me because as I think we, we it's been fun talking about this, but, but there, everything about my journey has been very organic and sort of leaning into what I love, what interests me, what makes me feel like I'm, I'm bringing beauty and meaning into the world. And, and, and so following that path has not been a straight path. Sometimes I look at other businesses that, you know, other entrepreneurs um, have created. I'll go get something like somebody like, uh, the like Casper and I'm like, Oh, that's so nice. They only sell mattresses. <laughs> we have thousands of products on our site. Some are tiny, some are for big furniture pieces. Like there's a lot of logistical, you know, things. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have an MBA. A lot of the stuff I'm just learning as I go, trying to figure it out. Um, but- sometimes like if you do have that mindset, um, you, you kind of talk yourself out of it because it doesn't seem very pretty in the beginning, right? Until you get to that point, and now you're just like so deep into it, where it's like, all right, I'll just exactly. do it. It's part of, the, part of the process. But, but like, if you have that mindset, sometimes again, like in this case, you know, naivete or ignorance is bliss because when you when you start thinking too deep into what could the business become and do I even want to do that, oftentimes, uh, you know, you'll talk yourself out of it. But that might not even be how it ends up. Like, you, it just, you know, it, I, I think I think it's the wrong way of looking at it, but. Yeah, in your case, it's just like you naturally you naturally get there. Um, and and in hindsight, you can look back and be like, yeah, you know, Casper sells one product, but <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, exactly. It's like that was never going to be my path. Sure, sometimes I'm like, oh, that would be nice if I could just sell you know a hundred of those a day instead of trying to deal with you know all the stuff that I'm dealing with. But at the same time, this has been my journey, so I, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I've been extremely fortunate to have been raised in the family that I was raised in to be, you know, to have traveled, to have seen what I got to see, uh, to be where I am now with the team that I am with and, and, and running the company that I'm running now today. It, it just wouldn't, Jungle wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that journey. Um, because it, it, it's all been very, uh, again, very, very much following my heart. And this is where my heart took me. Talk to us about what you're working on now. I know you've written a couple books or a few books, um, you know, recently. Uh, you know, what what other kind of projects are you working on at this very moment? Yeah, so um, 
my new book, Jungalo Decorate Wild, launches on April 6th. So that's super exciting right around the corner. And there's been a lot of prep around that. Um, been working on that book for over two years. So I'm really excited to birth that into the world. And then um, beyond that, we, so I mentioned earlier that we, uh, you know, we had a lot of licensed collections that were out, which we still do a lot of licensing and it's been wonderful, such an incredible learning experience, really great manufacturing partners. Uh, but now that the shop has legs, we are starting to work on our own exclusive collections that are available at jungalo.com and nowhere else. So that's where a huge part of my time and energy is going right now, where we're, um, you know, working directly with manufacturers, uh, not through licensing, but through our own brands and, um, and creating products on our, on our dime, <laughs> which is scary and exciting. Um, yeah. and you know, during COVID has been very interesting. Um, but, definitely learning and um and just excited to see where this new journey takes takes us so you know i'm curious about that point you know i I think a lot of businesses are going to start shifting to that where you know for example like italic is is a big uh company that's really been making some moves in terms of like you know working directly with the manufacturers more for like brandless stuff not not necessarily what jungle is doing how is it a benefit to both the business so like you in this case jungle and to the customer, when you work directly with a manufacturer and you say, you know what, I already am working with these, you know, retailers, whatever, I'm doing licensing deals, but I want to focus on just my own stuff and legitimately take it direct to consumer because that's what direct to consumer really is, right? It's like working with the manufacturer, doing your own stuff, selling it direct to the consumer. What are the advantages of that for the business and also for the consumer? So I think there's a lot of advantages. I will say that I really believe in this hybrid model of having both because both licensing and then direct to consumer, they have different benefits and different challenges. And so one of the things I love about uh, doing our own manufacturing is that I'm closer to the process. Um, I have visited the factories in India where a lot of the textiles that we sell are being made. Um, I talk directly to the artisans. I'm there sharing designs with them, working together closely with them to create what we want to create in a way that I feel great about. And um, there's just not that much transparency when it's through licensing. I don't go to the factories. I, I don't meet the artisans. I don't. Um, I trust my partners, and I know we're bringing things into the world in a way that I feel good about because we do a lot of vetting. Um, however, I'm just so much closer to the process when we're making our own stuff. So that's a big plus. Obviously, um, from a business standpoint, our margins are way higher and the items that we sell that are our own in our own shop that are exclusive um, are just that. They're exclusive. So they can't get those items in any other retailers, whereas our licensed right. stuff is available all over the world at you know so many different incredible retailers. And so right. that's amazing for brand visibility and brand growth. You know, people saying, oh, I saw you at Target. I saw you at Ampro. I saw you um, at HomeGoods or wherever they're interacting with our product. Right. Most of that, that's all licensed product. And that's just been incredible for our brand growth. Um, but making our own stuff, we get better margins. We're close to the production. And, and sometimes the vision is translated a little bit more directly um, as far as is how I want the products to, to come right. into the world. When I think about this pandemic that we lived through and are still living through, um, a lot of people, I mean, most people were at home most of the time, right? They were working from home, eating from home, sleeping from home. I mean, everything was surrounded around the home. Um, did that have a positive impact on Jungalo? I mean, were people more focused now on, uh, having a better workplace, a prettier, uh, living area, prettier dining area, whatever the case may be. I mean, were they, what were, I guess, some of the more anecdotal, uh, stories that you've heard through this last year plus of people focusing more on elevating their home's design and look? Yeah, I think across the board, the home decor um, world and, uh, <laughs> and, and businesses that touch home decor have seen a huge increase in, uh, in everything <laughs> this, this, this yeah. past year. I mean, my sister is an interior designer. Her business is, um, is, is booming. 
I have, you know, even even if you look at the stocks, I think I just read William Sonoma is up, you know, 30 percent. Uh, Which is crazy because they're closing like their retail store. Right, right. And so, and, and, and even places like Home Depot, you know, and these right. all, all, anything that touches home decor right. is, is, is doing really, really well. So yes, you know, and it feels weird to benefit from a pandemic. Uh, so, you know, there's that aspect of it as well, but absolutely. I mean, people are shopping for their homes right now, like never before. And we're definitely feeling and seeing that. And, um, and I think people are also supporting uh, black owned businesses in a way that we haven't seen in the past. I think we benefited from that also, which also feels weird, but here we are. And, um, and so, yeah, this last, this last year has been wild. My team went from five full-time employees last, uh, March to 11 full-time employees today. Uh, and that, that I think has just everything to do with you know, and on that note, kind of sort of wrap things up, you know, I know we kind of talked about how you scale yourself and, and, and kind of like from like a business perspective, you know, growing from being the person that does everything, you know, the creative, the hands-on person to eventually managing people and growing a team because you can't do it all. Right. Right. And so for you, how has that transition been from, you know, I mean, I'm sure you still do a lot of the work, but it's like, you know, at some point you have to kind of let go of certain things and, you know, kind of delegate and hire people and make sure that they're doing a great job and their the visions aligned and all that all that stuff that comes with running a business, right? So how has it been for you? It's really hard. Um, it's really, really hard and I'm learning so much. One thing that I've learned about myself is that I don't like managing people. Um, <laughs> it sounds obvious, but I, I, it's funny because I, I consider myself to be a good leader. I think I, I think I'm a good like leader. I think I'm a good visionary. I care about people. I care about my employees. I want them to love their lives like I love my life. So I think in that sense, I, I'm, I'm great at leading the business. But on the day-to-day management stuff is really hard for me. I avoid conflict. So if someone's not doing something properly, I have a hard time um, sort of telling them right then and there, like, you know, you did this wrong or, you know, it's just, that's just, it's hard for me. Um, Something I'm working on, but it is hard. And 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 I think think society sort of almost like fetishizes like having a big company with a lot of people where that's not always a good thing either. Like it's not (laughs) easy to manage a lot of people, but on the flip side, you know, having a lot of people, you know, kind of, depending on if you know just I, there are just so many companies that have too many people in my opinion and like you know it's totally. better to, to we've to, always to, been to, very to, scrappy i think scrappiness is is one of my strengths i think i've always managed to do a lot with a little both in design and then also in business and so i believe in sort of waiting until the very last minute to that you mm-hmm. feel like you need a larger space or you need another person. I sort of wait until I just can't do it yeah. anymore with, with the team that I have or the space that I have um, to take that next step towards growth. I People I have been asking me a lot in the last year, how big do you want Junglo to be? You know, what we're getting people who are reaching out. You know, I, you know, I own the whole company. So people have started, you know, seeing us all over the place. We've been getting a lot of press and stuff and people are like, Oh, um, you know, interested in talking to us. Do you want venture capital? Do you want this? Do you want that? And I'm like, I actually am not that interested in that at least right now, uh, right now I'm interested in creating a really strong infrastructure and, and foundation for the business. And then once I've done that, then I can say, ah, now, I, now I'm going to see where my heart is taking me next. But right now I'm, I'm kind of interested in keeping it sort of tight. Right. And that's that question, like, how big do you want to be? You know, I think big, the word big means something else to a lot of different people, right? Like, is it number of people? Is it how much revenue we're doing? Right. Is it how much I enjoy my job and, you know, right. I'm able to pay my bills? And, and it's like, there's so many things that go into that. So it's really like how you define it, right? And 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 as long as you're you're making sure that you're being mindful of, obviously, your margins and like you're not overspending and exactly. you're making enough money to cover all that and all that good stuff, then I don't think it really matters, right? Um, but anyways, this has been fun. I mean, yeah, one more question. Yeah, just one more question here. Uh, you know, kind of moving away from the business and professional stuff, what's a personal goal of yours that, you know, you feel like you've yet to accomplish? 
I want to um, have a gallery show with my art. Um, so it's really only been in the last maybe three or four years that I've really leaned into painting and owning that side of myself as sort of a fine artist. And so um, people always ask if I will sell my original paintings and I won't because I'm waiting to do a big show at some point. Um, that's a big goal of mine. Love it. Amazing. Well, we mm -hmm. hopefully we'll be invited to that so that we can yes. check in. <laughs> that would be awesome. Looking forward to it. Well, this has been awesome, Justina. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for hanging out with us and, and sharing your story with us. And uh, we can't wait to see all the awesome things you do next. And uh, uh, and hopefully, you know, we'll see the gallery soon and uh, all that all that good stuff. But yeah, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you both so much for having me. Bye.